right there. All right. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. Those of you that are uh, watching the recording, we are in the gospel of chapter 20, uh, uh, gospel of John chapter 21. So open your Bibles there, if you will. I'm going to give you the little bit of backstory here where we are in the gospel. We're probably finished tonight. Um, Jesus has had a little over three years of ministry, done miracles, preached amazing wisdom, controlled nature with his voice, um, healed from a distance, raised the dead, done amazing things. And then he's been railroaded through seven trials and ended up dying on a cross, taking your place, bearing your guilt and mine. Um, he conquered in doing that sin for all who believe he conquered the devil he conquered death he conquered our uh, took our punishment and he lived the perfect life we were supposed to live and then died the horrible death that you and i deserve this is the tail end of the gospel and it's an odd little story i'll just warn you um, he's made several resurrection appearances on the third day and then a week later to thomas and others um, and so where we are now there's a loose end that Jesus has to tie up. The other gospels don't mention this story, but John remembered it. And so that's why it's here. So um, let's see, John chapter 21, we left off uh, right around verse 10. I'm just going to read, um, I'm just going to read uh, verse three. The, the disciples are told by Jesus, go to Galilee and wait for me there. So verse three of chapter 21, uh, by the way, so that I know that you're awake here, say, amen. amen. Well, that was a good one. And those of you on Zoom, even though I can't hear you, say amen and wave your hand or wave your Bible or throw something at the screen. Okay, verse three, Peter is a very impatient kind of guy, kind of like me, and he doesn't want to sit around and wait. He's with six other of the disciples of the apostles, and he says in verse three, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. We learned from the previous verse, it's Peter, Thomas, yes, that's doubting Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, and two others that are unnamed. So seven disciples. So they go fishing. That night they catch absolutely nothing. Keep in mind, several of them are professional fishermen, and they know the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hands. Early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. We find out later, by the way, he's a football field away, 100 yards, 300 feet. Early in the morning, there he is. He called out to them, friends, really that's male, and it's like kids, so it's almost like boys, very friendly greeting. Haven't you any fish? The, the way it's worded there is pretty accurate. It expects a negative response. You haven't caught any fish, have you? If you're a fisherman and you've been fishing all night, this is the and there's a fisherman back there. It's the last thing you want to hear, right? So they reply, no. Right? They're not real happy to be announcing it. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some. You'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. By the way, this happened in Luke 5 at the beginning of his ministry. We're going to look at that in a, in, before the night's over anyway. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John's title for himself, he never names himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him, 
Peter heard him say, it's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. That's there's impetuous, just impatient Peter, right? And he's not thinking clearly. We said last week, because when you're going to swim, you take clothing off some anyway, you don't get dressed. He's putting his robe on and he's going to swim with it. He's just so um, rushing to Jesus. They jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. If your translation just says a fire, I looked it up today because some do. The Greek word is a fire. There's a different word for just fire. It's a fire of burning coals. Turns out that's really important. Seems like a, just such a trivial detail. So that's where we left off. Um, they don't know it's him. Peter just can't wait to get there, swims to, to Jesus. They land on the shore. And Jesus has already got breakfast going. One commentator called this, just like the Last Supper, a couple weeks before this, this is the last breakfast, you might say. So um, Jesus has already got fish going, burning, and, and some bread. You might ask, I'm sure they thought, where did he get the burning coals, the fish, the bread? How did he know where we'd be and when? Of course, you know the answer to all those things, right? Those are all, in a way, little miracles. Jesus said to them, verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught. In the past, Jesus provided all their food, remember, and multiplied it. And here he's going to use some of the fruit of their labor. One of the underlying lessons in this passage is just like it was with, with Mary Magdalene. Remember when she appeared, he appeared to her? And she grasped his feet and he said, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to my father. It's a way of saying what he's saying to them, which is things are going to be different now. He's about to ascend to his father. Not going to be the same. Um, a few commentators thought that it was a sin for Peter to go fishing. Going back to his old life, given up on the, on the ministry, maybe, but they probably don't have the donations coming in. They're, the Messiah is dead, most people think. So they, they've got nothing to do. We're waiting in Galilee. Let's go fishing. I don't see it as a sin. Most commentators I read didn't. So he says, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter, who, by the way, got out of having to drag the boat in with the net. Remember we said last week, and the others are probably cursing him under their breath because it's heavy. Simon Peter um, verse 11, climb back into the boat and drag the net ashore, implied in the way that Greek sentence is worded, is by himself. Strong guy, 153 fish, and they're big, and the net, and they're wet, and the net is wet. Pretty strong fisherman type guy, right? Not, not a wimpy little uh, guy. So he climbs back into the boat and he drags the net ashore by himself. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Another little possible miracle. It's a miracle that Jesus told the fish where to go, right? And when, um, because they hadn't caught anything. So um, the question is, we said last week, 
I started to give you some of these, you wouldn't believe how many theories there are on why 153. Hmm. So I'm just going to give you a few and then I'm going to tell you what I think it means. And you're probably going to be disappointed because it's not that amazing. 153 is the sum of all the numbers 1 through 17. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 equals 153. To which I say, yeah, so what, right? Augustine, one of the church fathers, thought it was the Ten Commandments, 10, plus the sevenfold spirit, 17. That's why the numbers from 1 to 17. I don't know. Um, I read a commentator that said that at that time, people counted 153 different species of fish in the known world. And this was symbolic of the fact that we're going to catch people from all generations. Boy, talk about stretching the truth. Um, here's another one. Um, in the Old Testament, the first temple is built and 153,000 men build it. Okay. So in any case, well, what, so what 153? First of all, you know why that's there? Because John was an eyewitness and he remembered we counted the fish and they were big, 153 of them. Symbolically, if it means anything, it means he'd said they're going to be fishers of men. Remember that? It's showing them that what you're going to catch when you obey what I tell you, cast your net on the other side of the boat, which seemed a little ridiculous. We've been fishing all night, didn't catch a single thing. Um, that your catch is going to be abundant. It's going to explode Christianity with growth. It's very small at this point, right? Peter preaches a sermon in Acts 2 when he gets the Holy Spirit, and the thing explodes with thousands already, and from there it just becomes the largest religion, as it is right now, in the whole world. Um, okay, so we talked about that. Jesus is acting like the host again, like he did at the Last Supper. Um, if you're aware of the fact that all the disciples um, split, remember, they abandoned him. Uh, Peter denied him. If I was the Messiah, I would be going, shame on all of you losers. I'm going to pick 12 new guys. You guys don't make it. There's none of that. It's, there's total grace here. Come have breakfast. Come, let's Peter dry off before he's going to teach him a lesson. So um, he invites them to bring some of their fish. Peter brings the net ashore. We know how many fish there were, and they were big, and the net wasn't even torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and dine. NIV has have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They, they knew it was the Lord. That's an odd verse, don't you think? You get the feeling from that. And from Mary Magdalene, remember, she thought it was the gardener when she saw him. The two on the road to Emmaus didn't know it was him. Remember that? Some say in the road to Emmaus thing in Luke 24, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. That could be the case here. Some scholars have said because he was so beaten up and whipped and what have you, that he might look different now. There's a verse in Isaiah before the Isaiah 53, which talks about him being crucified, that says that they ridiculed me, the, the verse is saying, and spit upon me and mocked me, and they plucked out my beard. If you've ever known somebody your whole life that 
he's always had a beard and then you see him without a beard it's have you ever had that happen wow they look different could that be it i don't know but for whatever reason they know it's him come on that they remember he told us to last time luke 5 and other times how to catch fish and he's not a fisherman but he's god that helps right so they're afraid to ask him they don't want to really ask him i love the invitation here come and dine you see it there verse in the middle of verse 12 there it's interesting in john there are three invitations like that and then there's a few more in the other gospels when you put all the invitations together it's a beautiful picture listen you've got this one come and dine the last one in john in john chapter 1 verse 39 one of the disciples says yeah we found the messiah he's from nazareth and the other guy says, can anything good come in Nazareth, come from Nazareth? And the first guy says, come and see, come and see, invitation number one. Invitation number two, Jesus speaks it in John 7, come and drink. There he said that he's the water of life. Come and see, come and drink, come and dine. Dining in that culture was a, a very much a... Um, statement that you have fellowship with these people, you're in agreement, you as the host will protect them, there's a commitment to one another. In the other gospels, there's come and learn, Matthew 11, come and rest, Mark 6, that's beautiful. So we come and learn, we come and see, we come and drink, we come and dine, we come and learn from Jesus, we come and rest from trying to earn our salvation and earn favor with God. Jesus already did that. And then the last one, Matthew 25, come and inherit i love that inherit we're in the will right whose will is it god's what does he own everything right pretty good deal um i want you to notice that he's going to deal with their spiritual needs and specifically peter most of all but before he does notice he doesn't dive in with the spiritual he dives in with the physical come and eat right now, which is more important eternally? The spiritual is far more important, right? But I want you to notice it's, it's very interesting that he deals with the physical needs first. When you're witnessing to someone, it's more important that you show them grace and show them hospitality before you dive into the you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Hopefully you don't say it that way, right? Um, and so that's what he does. He lets Peter dry off, get warm. They're hungry. They haven't eaten all night satisfy their hungry hunger they enjoy some fellowship and they're all kind of looking at one another i think there's a little tension at the fire i'll tell you why besides the fact that they know it's him but they're not saying anything number one you've got thomas is there thomas is probably feeling guilty that he demanded do you remember unless i see the proof put my fingers in his holes in his wrists and the hand in the side so you've got a little bit of guilt on Thomas's part. The others, they all abandon him, deserted. They're feeling a little guilty, but here he is. He rose from the dead. Most of all, there's Peter, who at another charcoal fire denied him three times. Do you remember that? Where he was asked three questions at a charcoal fire. Uh, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I never heard of him. Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I'm not. 
And then the third time he used, he actually swears. You remember that? He calls down curses because he's asked if you're a disciple. And he says, no, he's denied Jesus three times. Is this important? Yes, he's an apostle. He's the leading apostle. He's the head guy. In all the lists of the apostles, Peter's name is first. So Peter's sitting there looking at the charcoal fire, which reminds him of another charcoal fire, and just feeling probably with tears in his eyes going, what have I done? If you're Peter, you're feeling like he's going to pick another leader. I'm not the guy. How do I know that I'm going to stay with this. Maybe I'm not cut out to be an apostle or a preacher or an evangelist or a pastor. or So there's all kinds of tension going on. Verse 13. Is that where we were? Now I'm, I'm looking at notes and the text at the same time. Yeah. Verse 13. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. Sounds just like the Last Supper, but this is the last breakfast. And he did the same with the fish. The bread and the fish recall those two times when he fed huge crowds, remember that? Multiplying bread and fish. If you ask me, he created this bread and fish and fire out of nothing by speaking it into his existence, but I doubt he went to 7-Eleven and bought it, but it's possible. Fish sticks, you know, they have in the frozen. Okay, so he, he's serving them as the host. Verse now, this was now, verse 14, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, asterisk. What do you mean asterisk? It's the third time in John's gospel. It's at least the seventh time he's appeared different places by now and to different people. In that time, he appears to his unbelieving brother, James, who wrote the book of James. There's a plug for next week when we're going to start studying James. Anyway, so it's the third resurrection appearance that John chooses to mention. That's why after he was raised from the dead. So now we've got the formalities out of the way. Um, that word in verse 14 for um, the third time that he appeared, it's the word manifested himself. He shows some of himself, not just physically, but some of his character uh, by what he does here. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. Verse 15. But notice the grace and the love Jesus is showing them. There's no um, scolding them. There's none of that. Just a very welcoming uh, morning. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah or John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, verse 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend or take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I wanted to read that little section as one thing because we're going to really take it apart now um, as we often do. In Luke 24, we find out that 
Peter has already seen Jesus with the other disciples at least twice, and once by himself, Peter had a resurrection appearance already at this point, okay? But they're sporadic. As we said last week, Jesus is teaching them, I'm not going to be around 24 hours a day hanging with you guys like I used to. I'm about to go to my father. I want you to get used to ministry without me, because once I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. You'll have way more success without me than you did with me, or at least as much. That's the first thing. So he may have already restored Peter privately, but Peter's the leader. There has to be a public restoration in front of these other guys. That's what's going to go on here. As there were three denials of Peter by a charcoal fire involving questions, Jesus is now going to ask three questions to reinstate him, and it's redundant as you can get, isn't it? Simon, son of Jonah or son of John, do you love me? Now, if you've been in a relationship or even if you have a friend, You'd be a little insulted if the friend said once to you, hey, I got to ask you, do you love me? It kind of implies like you've done something to indicate you're not doing that good at the love thing. If it's a male-female romantic relationship, something's really wrong if the person's going, do you love me? But if they say it again after you just answered, and then again, no wonder he's hurt. Okay. Peter probably knows why he's being asked because Peter has denied Jesus. So it's a logical and it's, it's right to ask this. Who named Peter, Peter, Jesus? What's his real name? Simon, son of Jonah, Bar Jonah or John. He calls him by his old name, full name right? If you were like I was when I was a kid, Rex emailed me that or texted me, I can't remember, that your mom used to do the same thing, right? When you were in trouble, your mother would call your entire name, first, middle, last name, and you knew it wasn't come have some cookies. It was you broke a window and I know you did it, right? Or something. My mom did the same thing, full name, uh, even confirmation name for me from Catholicism, four names. And you knew, uh-oh. So he calls them by the full name. After they finished eating, I believe that this is not, he pulled them aside. There's none of that here. I think they're all listening. And now the tension you can cut with a sword, not just a knife. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Notice the first question's a little different. It's, do you love me more than these? So the question is, these what? Okay. Two schools of thought, about 60-40. School of thought number one, these. Do you love me more than these things? The fishing boat, the net, the fish, the catch, the Sea of Galilee, your old life. Do you love me more than these? Because you went back to your old way of life. School of thought number one. That's probably 35-40% of the commentaries. The majority and I agree with the majority, think these are the other apostles. Do you love me more than these? Thomas, John, James, all the others. Do you? 
Now, that's a weird thing to ask in a way. Here's why. Because if you've had children, you know the worst thing you can do is favor one and not the other. Why can't you be like your sister or your brother, right? My brother got really, really good grades in school and in college, and I didn't. They didn't push that on me. Why can't you be like Jim, your brother? But kids recognize the, you know, the, the old Smothers Brothers thing you always like. Mom always liked you best. Some of you are too young to know what that is. Okay. Um, so he says, do you love me more than these? I think he's talking about the other disciples. And I'll tell you why. Because Peter said he did. Okay. I'm going to show you that um, in a second. Um, Peter, in more than one place, says that he... Jesus tells the disciples that they're all going to fall away. And Peter protests and says, even if they all fall away, not me, I won't, implying what? I love you more than these guys. Peter's the only one who says, I will die for you. To which, if you remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus replies with, really? my way of translating. This very night, you're going to deny me three times. Peter has been very vocal about the fact that he loves Jesus more than these, James, John, the others. They've argued about who's the greatest. Remember that? Right before Jesus washes their feet, they argue about which disciple is the greatest. So there's all kinds of levels we need to look at this on, but that's the first level. Peter is their representative. So this is not just for Peter. It's for Thomas, John, James, the others, because they all screwed up, all of them. I would have picked 11 new guys, 12 new guys. He doesn't. It's wonderful. They're all, listen, broken at this point. And I'm going to show you that that is a really, really good thing in a second. Um, he only calls him that full name a couple of other times when he calls him to follow him. When Peter says, do you remember the high point of the gospel of Matthew, when they ask, uh, Jesus asked them, do you remember this? Who do men say that I am? And they answer, some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And some think you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he says in the Greek, it's emphatic, you, you, but what about you? Who do you? say that I am. Silence. And then Peter says, I say you're the Christ Messiah, the son of the living God. Remember that? And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, uses that full name again. But now here again, because it's something very, very important. Um, okay, so there's something else going on here. And that is that there's several words for love in Greek. You probably already know this, some of you. There's the word eros, okay, which sounds like erotic, and it is. Eros is romantic love between a man and a woman, that kind of love, okay, marriage kind of love. Then there's phileo, from which we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is you're my friend. I love you in a close way. I really like you. You're my pal. But then there's 
agape or agapao, okay? That is a whole nother level of love, seldom used. It's unconditional love, commitment love. No matter what you do, I love you. I'll do anything for you. I would die for you. I'm completely committed to you. Now, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with that highest kind of unconditional commitment, total love forever? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I love you like a friend. He's now been so broken by his own failure, which is a good thing, that he's no longer willing to be the braggart. Of course I do, the old Peter would have said. Now he says, uh, you know that I, I love you like a, you know, like a brother, like a friend. He lowers it, okay? Some scholars think the difference in words doesn't matter. I think, why, why doesn't it matter? Why would you use those different words? Um, so the second time Jesus asks, and we still have to talk about the these thing, but he asks the same way. Do you agape me? And the second time Peter answers, you know that I phileo you, love you like a brother, like a friend. The third time Jesus asks, you don't see this in the Greek, unless you got like a living translation kind of thing, new living translation or, or uh, the living Bible or a paraphrase. The third time Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a friend, like a brother? Am I your friend? That's why Peter is so grieved, and we'll get there in a second, that he's even, Jesus has now lowered the bar in a big way. Um, let's see. Peter, again and again, by what he said and what he did, did not want a crucified Lord, a crucified Messiah. But the thing is, he's got one now, and he raised from the dead, he was risen from the dead. Jesus wants to know, do you love me the way I am? Not what you hoped I would be always here with you. It's a way of reinstating Peter with three questions, just as he denied Jesus with three questions and three answers. So um, let's see, what is your level of devotion? I want you to notice what he doesn't do. Doesn't say how much doctrine do you know? I'm going to give you a little test here, Peter. Get out your number two pencil. You'll have 14 minutes to complete the test. He doesn't say, are you willing? What's in it for you? He is commissioning Peter and the others, listen, to be apostles. The word apostles means sent ones. They're not only going to be evangelists, which was the old order. What do you mean? You're gonna, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's evangelism, fishing, catching men for the gospel. Now he's about to make them pastors, which is different. Pastors is the word for shepherds. Wait, isn't Jesus the good shepherd? Yes, John 10, but he's going to be gone. You guys are going to take over as good shepherds. So I got to know, are you qualified? And I want you to notice, although knowing doctrine is important, know the Bible, that's important. You know what the most important thing is? Do you love me? That kind of love, agape love, is like asking, in your top 10, 
priorities. Am I number one? Or am I just like six, nine, right in there, seven? He wants to know that he's the most important priority. You, you ask the question, well, why is that so important for ministry? And it is today. You're thinking of going into the ministry? That's the question to ask yourself. Why? Because there are so many other things that human beings naturally love. And they can get in the way of being a minister. Like what? Money. If you love money and Jesus is number two, and you're going into the ministry, you're going to have a problem. If you love sex or attention or uh, approval or power or fame, then you're going to have a TV ministry and blink your eyes a lot and make millions, but you're not going to be sincere for the gospel. Jesus wants to know that, they, that he loves Jesus more than anything. And you got to give Peter credit. He could just go, yes, I do. Right? Probably Jesus would call him on it. No, you don't. So Peter's honest, and maybe that's a good thing. Jesus already is aware because he knows everything. Peter says it, that Peter's already sorry. He knows that Peter wept bitterly after he denied Jesus. He knows that Peter's been miserable ever since. That's the thing about being saved. When you sin, if you think everything's hunky-dory, I'm wondering how saved are you? When you sin, you ought to be kind of miserable, feeling so guilty. The sin was so fun until it was over, and now I just feel horrible. That's good, right? Okay. What about these? If all others forsake him, he would not. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. It's in those, all three of those. Um, keep your finger here and go to Luke 5. So one gospel to the left, next book to the left, Luke chapter 5. I promised we'd go here and I forgot because I'm getting old. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Simon Bar-Jonah, that's Peter, gets into Peter's boat and asks him to put out a little from the shore. So he's going to use that as a pulpit. There he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night. Sound familiar? And we haven't caught anything. Sound familiar? But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Jesus is not a fisherman. He's a carpenter. Peter doesn't really know Jesus that well. He's heard him a few times before. And he thinks, kind of rolling his eyes, okay, Mr. Mr. Uh, armchair fisherman will do as you say. When they had done so, verse six, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were beginning, they began to sink. Can you imagine how many fish this is? I want you to notice this is the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. Watch how humble he is at the beginning. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord, 
I'm a sinful man. Total humility. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, I'll, I, from now on you will catch men, or I will make you fishers of men. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, nets, boats, oars, sails. They left everything and followed him. So there may be something to the fact that he's gone back to that. Maybe he is asking, do you love me more than these nets, boats, fish, all that? Maybe it's both. More than these, the apostles, more than these, the fish and the nets. In other words, am I number one or am I in your top 10 somewhere? Want you to see the humility there. In the years Peter hangs with Jesus, he starts to get a big ego, okay, and gets very self-confident. I will never deny you. Remember? He's the one that pulls out the short Mazira sword about that long and cuts off this high, this priest's servant's ear. Remember that? Peter is impulsive. So back to this text, Simon, verse 15, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, notice, he doesn't just say, I love you. He says, you know, meaning what? He's already seen Jesus is omniscient. That word means all knowing. He knows everything. He even knows my thoughts. Is that a scary thing? Imagine if we Christians had to wear around our neck a little thing about this big with a speaker. And when you thought something, it broadcasted for everyone to hear. Shh, how do you turn this thing off, right? Peter knows Jesus knows everything. You know that I love you. Notice the response. Doesn't say, no, you don't. With every question, there's an answer, notice, and a command. Feed my lambs. Lambs are small sheep, young sheep, right? Some have seen lambs to mean young Christians or new Christians. Feed them, take care of them. He's asking them to, be, to take the job of a shepherd. Do you see that? Feed my lambs. Please notice they're not Peter's lambs. If you're the pastor of a church or you, your pastor of your church, I'll say it that way, may have a congregation of 100 or 500 or 20,000, those are not the pastor's sheep. They're his lambs, Jesus's, right? Feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is very embarrassing, Jesus. Do we have to do this in front of everyone, right? Because it's tense there. He's asked him again. He already said, yes. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Exact same wording. Take care of or tend my sheep, not lambs. These are more mature sheep. Thought to be by a lot of commentators, more mature Christians. He's been a Christian 30 years. He has been 50 years. He's been 10 years. Not the, I just, I just came to Jesus a month ago kind of guy or gal. The third time, verse 17, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Oh, I forgot to mention, 153, remember that? One more. It's the, it, every word in Greek 
every letter has a value, a numerical value. When you add up Peter and fish, it's 153. Okay, whatever, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so he says, verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time it's friendly love, phileo, lowered the bar. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Not only because it's the third time, because Jesus now lowered the bar. Do you love me with all your heart? Yes, you know I do. Feed my lambs. Do you love me with all your heart? And are you totally committed to me? Yes. Feed my, attend my sheep. Do you like me like a friend? Ooh, something's wrong here. Gone the, the wrong way. So he's hurt. He says, Lord, you know all things. He said, I know I can't hide from you. <clears throat> you know that I phileo you. I love you that way. My love is very much inferior. That's what he's admitting. The humility that he had at the beginning in Luke 5 that went away when he was so conceited and nobody's going to, I'm not going to betray you. I've got the knife. I'll die for you. Remember all that? It's all gone now. Broken people make the best leaders in the Christian church. Odd, isn't it? No, we want a strong guy that nobody can break. No, that guy's too self-confident in his flesh. Peter, because of his own mess-ups, is now with Jesus, with his face in the dirt, and Jesus says, I can use a guy like that. So get up, feed my sheep. Do you love, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's very redundant, but so is the charcoal fire when, aren't you one of his disciples? No. Aren't you one of his disciples? No. Aren't you one of, right? It's very redundant as well. By the way, when you look up redundant in the dictionary, it says, see redundant. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on, shall we? Um, we talked about the different words for love. Yes. Um, Okay, so what does this mean for you and I? Because this is just some story about some fisherman 2,000 years ago, right? Wrong. When you and I sin, and we will, we're believers, we're forgiven, but everybody in this room sinned probably today. You may have sinned since you got here. What's your point, Joe? The wrong thing to do is stay away from God. Stay away from your Bible. Stay away from church. Stay away from prayer. Stay away from Jesus. Oh, I feel so unworthy. I don't do what Peter did. Dive off the boat when get to him as fast as you can. Because if you're expecting, you won't get it. Right? First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's human nature to back off. I messed up do the opposite. That's the first thing. Um, also, Jesus wants us to face our failure head on, right? It's important that the word confess, do you know this, means to say the same thing as. Jesus says, God says in the Bible, such and this is a sin. If you do that thing, you need to say to Jesus, to God in prayer, I did this. And your word says it's a sin, and I agree, and I'm so sorry. And that part of that is repentance. I don't want to do that anymore. I turn from it. In your strength, help me not to do ABC, whatever it was you did. 
Okay. Um, the other thing about love, which is the key word here, isn't it? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Right? Is that there are several things that motivate, listen, service and behavior. Several. Let me give you some examples. Boyce, would you help me um, clean up my yard? Well, Joe, I'm pretty busy. Uh, I'll give you $100,000 for a week's work. Motivation. I'll be there. What time do you want me there, Joe? Right? He's getting his gloves on. What do you want me to do? I'll bring my own tools. Money is a motivator, not a good one for the gospel. Okay? Boyce, will you help me clean my yard? If you don't, I'll shoot your dog. Violence, right? Threats. Sometimes that's a motivator. That's not good. Some people come to Jesus for fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. Okay, I believe in Jesus. That's okay, but that's not why you come. The thing that will motivate you more than anything. If I say, I really need help, and Boyce loves me, I bet he'd show up at my yard and help me without the money, without the, I'll shoot your dog, without the, any of those other motivators, because love is the greatest motivator of service and of action. Why is Jesus asking, do you love me? Do you love me? That's why. Because if you really love Jesus, isn't doctrine important? Yes, that'll come later. But making him the one priority. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That, that verse means, Psalm 23, means God himself being my shepherd. Just that's enough. I'm not going to need anything now. He'll provide all my needs. He's such a good shepherd. I'm, I'm not worried about any of the other stuff. None of it. It'll all come. And But my needs, not greeds, needs will always be met. God wants us to know that love is a great motivator. This is the great physician doing a little surgery on Peter, right? Getting him to look at himself and getting him to profess his love. All those other things that are motivators can really get you sidetracked if you're hoping to serve God. So we're going to take our two minute break in just a second, but let me just make you uncomfortable before we do. The question is, let's leave Peter out of this. Do you love Christ? Do I? Lord, you know that I phileo you, right? Kind of we wimp out, don't we? And there you can tell a lot about a person. This isn't the only thing, but it's been said. What does Ken love? Well, let me see his calendar and his checkbook. Let me see his credit card bills. I'll tell you what he loves, right? Is he spending most of his time and his talent and his treasure on AB, whatever it may be? Or can you see from his calendar, boy, the guy is very involved in church and, and you pray how many times a day and you read the word and time, your talent, your treasure. Where do those things end up? We'll tell you a lot about what you love. Okay, now that I made you feel guilty, let's take our two-minute break. I'm going to turn my camera off. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. All right, we're back. Find your seats, those of you that are here, those of you that are there. 
you can go back to sleep. No, I'm just kidding. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Good one. You guys on Zoom, you doing okay? I see you, Joe and Sheila and Mariposa and Ron and Sharon. Okay. I'm not going to go through the whole list. I'll be here all night. Um, let's see. Where were we? He asked. Um, this is, by the way, um, him, Jesus saying to, to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Catholics believe this is Jesus making Peter the Pope. I know. What? I, that's what I said. Um, but anyway, I thought I'd throw that in at no extra charge. But, you know, the Pope is supposed to be religiously infallible, meaning never makes a mistake. Okay. Also, the Pope is not supposed to be married. Peter's married. There's all kinds of problems. Paul has to correct Peter on his theology in the book of Acts. Do you remember that? He's not the Pope. Um, uh, in any case, love is the greatest motivator of action. The rest will follow. We already covered that. Yes, I know. So do you love him? I didn't make you raise your hand and answer the question. That's something each of us have to ask. Um, I remember as a kid thinking this, I think I have this religion thing figured out. We went to Catholic church. All God really wants is about an hour a week on Sunday. That's pretty good because I want the rest of my time to do what I want. Wrong. <laughs> as they say, my granddaughter loves when I do that. <clears throat> God wants all of you, right? God says, crown me as the king of your life, the Lord of your life, or kill me. And they did, right? There's nothing in between. No, I, I'm kind of in the middle. No, you're not. Lukewarm doesn't work. I'll spit you out of my mouth, Revelation says. Anyway, so let's go back to our discussion of the new pope. I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. I want you to notice something odd here. Did you notice? All the questions are for Peter about loving Jesus. Wait, now wait, isn't, isn't love a two-way street? Why isn't anybody questioning Jesus? Well, do you love Peter? Because it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Jesus loves them so much, not only has he provided for them, protected them, led them, taught them, he died for them, died in their place. Please notice, no one in the Bible questions in the New Testament Christ's love. Neither should you. You say, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't question God's love. You'd be surprised how many people you know, I love God. I've been going to church. I believe, but look what he did. My child is ill. I'm ill. We're losing our house. My marriage is breaking up. My kid won't talk to me. You fill in the blank. Why do I have all this pain in my body? I'm starting to shake my fist to God. Don't do it. Don't do it. God knows what he's doing. He won't give you more than you can handle. First Corinthians 10, 13, temptation wise, trial wise. He'll provide a way of escape. He'll be there. You'll be stronger through this. Don't question God's love. They didn't. We shouldn't either. Okay. Verse, wherever we were, 18. <laughs> you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Okay. So he's reinstated as leader, pretty much. But we still got a problem. 
Because even though Jesus is giving him that commission, an order, a command, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my flock, you're going to be one of the shepherds. There's st we still got a problem. Do you know what it is? Peter's own self-confidence. Because Peter's remembering, okay, I've got this job to do now. He wants me to do it. He thinks I can do it. I never thought I would deny Jesus. And there I was with a servant girl going, no, I don't even know him. Am I going to go the distance for Jesus? You say, why are you bringing this up? Verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, King James, truly, truly, I, verily, verily, I say unto you, depending on what translation you have, those words may be different. They all mean the same thing. Every time Jesus says it in the gospel of John, it means this. Listen up. This is really, really important. That's what it means. Okay. Um, in the book of Revelation, the phrase that is the same way is, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You ever see that? That means go reread that. It was really important. So whatever Jesus is about to say, it's really important. It may not look like it's important. It's going to look like Jesus is just predicting how Peter's going to die. Why is this such a big deal? There's more than, than meets the eye going on here. Very truly, I tell you, He's talking to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. We can't stop there. We got to read the next verse. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death the kind of death, sorry, by which Peter would glorify God. You see that? Peter was crucified around 66, 67 AD. This is the early 30s AD. What's your point, Joe? Peter's wondering, am I going to go the distance? He died for me. Would I, the stupid braggart I used to be, I said, I'll die for you. Now I'm wondering if I would even give up my salami sandwich for you, right? Because he denied him as he did. There's more going on here than just Jesus prophesying about his death. Because Peter was crucified in Rome by the Romans. The historians, more than one, say, you probably heard this, that Peter insisted, if you're going to crucify me, don't crucify me the normal way. I'm not even worthy to die the way Jesus died. Crucify me upside down. Have you heard this before? And that is what happened. They crucified him upside down. Translation. He did go the distance. He never, ever denied Jesus again. And he was threatened with death a bunch of times, whipped and beaten a bunch of times, not a servant girl at a charcoal fire. Aren't you a disciple? No. When it really counted, he hung in there. Good for Peter. No, 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 you missed the point. What's the difference? He had the Holy Spirit. Big difference. You mean he didn't hear? No. When he denied Jesus, he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Gets it in Acts chapter two. Read the chapter. Don't do it now. 
although it will keep you awake. The reason Jesus tells him this is because Jesus knows supernaturally. Peter's wondering, can I go the distance? Am I always going to be looking over my shoulder for who's going to say something? And I'm going to go, no, I don't even know him. I'm going to wimp out again. Jesus says to him, when you were younger, you were free. You dressed yourself. You did what you wanted. You went where you wanted. But when you are old, oh, I'm going to get to be old. That means Peter knew at that moment, you're not going to die five years from now. You're not going to die because he's not old, right? He's older than John. John's late teens, early 20s, probably. Peter might be 30, 35. I used to think that was old. I don't think so now, right? When you were 16 and you think he's 35, you might as well just crawl in a hole. And anyway, it's all relative, right? 50 is the new 60, which is the new 70, which is the new 80, which is okay. Anyway, or the other way around. Okay. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands. That, that phrase was in the Roman empire, a way, a way of referring to crucifixion. You'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go to a cross. Nobody wants to die, but he's willing because the Holy Spirit keeps him on the path. This is assurance for Peter. Not only are you reinstated, but I'm doing what no other boss can do. We're, Alan, we're promoting you to supervisor. And Alan's thinking, am I ready for this? A boss could never say to Alan, I guarantee you'll succeed. You never know. People change, right? Jesus is saying, I personally am guaranteeing you're going to succeed. So much so, you're going to do what you said you were going to do, which was die for me. Remember that? Kind of ironic. Somebody sitting there named James, John's brother. John's the guy writing the gospel. James is his brother partners in the fishing business with Peter. Somebody sitting there is going to die in the book of Acts really soon. James, first martyr, brother of John. Does he mention that? No, we're talking to Peter here. Don't worry, you're going to go the distance. Jesus said this, verse 19, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would notice, croak, kick the bucket. No, glorify God. Do you know that your life can glorify God and mine can, but even your death can glorify God. If you're, if I am in a hospital, I'll make it me in a hospital bed in pain, 63 pounds wasting away. And I'm shouting, where are you, God? I thought you were there for me. I'm not going to glorify God in my death. Am I though? He slay me yet. Will I trust in him? Right. Even the way we die right? The last scene in the movie, we can glorify God in that way. Um, so notice that that verse doesn't end there. Verse 19, then Jesus said to him, follow me, right? What, is, what does that mean? It means follow me. It means don't get off the path. Follow me. Follow orders. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. When you did, what was the result? Huge, right? Result, almost ridiculous, almost comical. Exactly. Follow me. Don't follow anybody else. Don't follow your own instincts and your own ego and your own desires. Follow 
me. Go where I went. The life of self-service, of obedience to God, 100%. Follow me. It's a present imperative in the Greek. You say, I don't, I don't know what that is. Me either. But it means keep on following me and then keep on following me. In the, uh, one of the epistles of Paul, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Same thing, present imperative. It literally reads, be being filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. 66 or 67 AD, this comes true. But Peter lives decades more preaching the gospel, heading up the church in Jerusalem with James, uh, doing amazing things, all in the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, we already talked about that. Follow me wherever the path leads. Get out your preconceived notions and throw them away. You never know. But follow me. He says that to you and I as well, obviously. Verse 20. Good old Peter. It's pretty clear, right? Follow. Follow with sign language. Me. Two words. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So it sounds like Jesus kind of got up and started to walk and said, follow me, literally, but also figuratively, spiritually in your whole life, follow me. Okay, so Peter is walking, turns around and sees his buddy, John, his best friend, who's writing this gospel. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? This is John's way of referring to himself. He never calls himself John, very humble. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What's his story? Is he going to die the same way? I believe that Peter and John had this little friendly competition thing going. Okay, John and Peter run to the tomb, and John twice has to mention, remember, last week or the week before, I got there first, right? John's on the boat just now in this chapter and says, it's the Lord. Peter says, I've learned to trust John's instincts. He's not beating me this time, <laughs> dives into the, right? I could be wrong on this. I'm, I'm probably wrong on a lot of things. I expect to get to heaven and have God say, okay, let's talk about all the things you taught that were incorrect. Page 41, page 906. Okay, you're saying, why are we listening? I'm not sure. Let's keep rolling. What about him? Jesus answered, verse 22. If I want him to remain alive is implied. If I want him to remain until I return, second coming, what is that to you? You follow me. Like member George Bush senior, read my lips. Follow. Is that so hard to understand? I didn't, I didn't say anything about him. Listen, we do this, don't we? We get all sidetracked on her life and her life and her life and his life and his life and follow me. Focus. Peter, don't worry about other people. Jesus says something here that gets misunderstood and turned into a rumor, a National Enquirer type rumor. Yes, they had that magazine back then. Um, 
Because of this, verse 23, the rumors spread among the believers that this disciple, John, would not die. In other words, he'd be alive at the second coming, which would mean he'd still be alive, by the way, and be really old. Amen. A couple thousand years old. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, the point is, what is that to you? Okay. When you were kids, did you ever say this? None of your beeswax? It's none of your business. Follow me. Yeah, but what about follow me? So it's kind of humorous, don't you think? Um, the last words of Jesus in this gospel have to do with second coming, his return, or the rapture, or both, depending on your end times theology. We won't go into that now, but I find that kind of interesting. So that's the rumor. Um, John's going to now talk about his credentials here, um, but we, we can't help but see Jesus's love and grace in the way he deals with Peter. Man, you failed me and big time, right? Donald Trump, remember? You're fired. Remember on the TV show? You're done. Not Jesus. Have you failed God to where you feel this way? He's not going to say you're fired. You come to him in repentance, 1 John 1, 9. He says, welcome back, puts his arms around you. Okay, let's keep rolling. You still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, good. It's pretty good. Oh, somebody coughed. All right. Um, this, 24, he's talking about himself. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. He's saying, I want you to know, I didn't get this third hand. She told this guy who told this other guy who told his dentist and his dentist told me, I'm pretty sure it's true. He's saying, I was there. I'm John. There's pretty much nobody scholar-wise that thinks John didn't write this book. He's saying, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. You say, who's the we? It could be the people he's with in Ephesus, where he served later on in life. It could be we, all the disciples who also saw it. It could be we, all of us, because we didn't see it. We didn't get like Thomas to get the, see the nail prints, but we believe it, don't we? Otherwise, what are we doing here on Tuesday night, right? Amen on Zoom. Um, verse 25, uh, I love this. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. John wants you to know there's a word in English called exhaustive. This is an exhaustive document about Jesus's life. Everything he did, everything he said, every miracle, Every meal he ate, that would be exhaustive, right? It'd be 73 volumes. It'd be 9,000 volumes. John says, I picked certain things because I want you, I had an agenda in writing this book. He's saying it's not exhaustive. Before we move on with this verse, in John, go back one chapter to John 20. I want you to, I want to, I want you to see something again. We, we talked about it before. John chapter 20. It almost sounds like he's ending the book there. Look at verse 30. 
John 20, 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, verse 31, are written for a reason. What is it, John? Why are you writing this? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That's what it means. The Son of God, literally the Messiah, who is a human being and also fully God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's spiritual life. That's eternal life. That's the real kind of life. That's his agenda. He wants us to know. That's why I wrote the book. Now go back to chapter 21, verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. It's true. You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three are called the synoptics because they kind of synchronize. Not perfectly, um, but you can see they used each other as sources for things. They kind of go along together. John's gospel is written decades later when he knows about Matthew, Mark, and Luke and puts in what he remembers, a lot of which is not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But what he's saying is, if you hung out with somebody for three years and watched a lot of amazing things they did, and there were others who saw it, there'd be different angles on what was said and what was remembered and what have you. So this is in a way a beautiful hyperbole or an exaggeration, but in a good way. He did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Are you aware of this fact? On planet earth, there have been more songs artwork, and books written about Jesus Christ than any other subject, any other human being, or any other subject like flowers or trees or birds or giraffes or whatever. Jesus Christ, if you doubt me on this, you may say, well, there's, no, there's a lot of love songs. Yes, but how many hymns are there? How many worship songs are there about a single person? Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. Um, that's how John ends his gospel. I want to talk about one thing because we're early and you're thinking, oh, good, we get to go home early. Wrong. <laughs> I want to talk about this. What we just read in John 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe. You say, I believe. Now, we've done this before in this Bible study, but I want to review it. And if you remember nothing else, remember this. Some of you may not have heard this, but most of you have. There's an acronym about belief, and it's CAT spelled wrong. K-A-T. Okay? I'm a bad speller, can you tell? Not really. K-A-T. That's the acronym about belief. What does it take to get this eternal life and to believe? Number one, K, knowledge. You have to have at least a basic knowledge of who Jesus was, what he did, dying on the cross in our place, the fact that we couldn't save ourselves, that's the whole gospel. He'll come again to judge the living and the dead. Uh, he rose from the dead, and because of that, we will rise from the dead. There'll be a judgment one day. He was fully God, fully man. Okay, basic knowledge. In other words, if I'm witnessing to Terry, I meet him on the street, and I tell him about Jesus, and I'm a, I'm a believer, and he says, I believe in Jesus, and I go, tell me what you know about Jesus. And he says he was a friend of Abraham Lincoln. He lived in the 1800s. I'm going to go, no, 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 no. You got a different Jesus. He was a great 
Muslim leader. No, no, no. You got the wrong Jesus. Do you see what I mean? That has to be a basic knowledge. You don't have to be a scholar, but you got to basically understand. Is that it? No, that's the K, knowledge. A, agreement. I could teach Terry all this stuff and he could say, I got it. I understand it. I don't believe it. Sorry. I don't agree that it's true. But if he says, I've got the knowledge and I've come to believe that it's true. K, A, knowledge, agreement. You agree that it's true. Is that enough? No, because in the book of James, which we're going to study next, be sure to tune in next week. The book of James, James says that the devils believe. They got the K and the A and tremble. They're not saved. They know it's true. They know the knowledge. He died from the, on the cross. Yeah, we hate that about him. They're not doing the T. What's the T? Trust. That you're trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation, for your being right with God, for your to be, you to be accepted, for you to be saved, for you to have eternal life. You have to have total trust in that knowledge and that agreement. Total trust. Okay, K-A-T, is that it? No, because part of that trust is a changed life, right? I'm trusting in that. How long have you been trusting in it, Terry? 45 years. It's pretty good. What was your life like before? I was an alcoholic. I was a thief and a murderer. How are you doing now? Still an alcoholic, still a thief, and I killed somebody on the way to Bible study day. <laughs> Really? Watch out for him. With birth comes growth, right? You would expect him to say, I'm not the same person. I'm not perfect, but I don't drink anymore. I, um, God's working on me and sanctifying me, right? That's an evidence that he trusts in it. Because if he's still a murderer and a drunk and whatever else I said, wouldn't you say, hmm, doesn't seem right, right? The world would look at that kind of faith if that was true of him. And it's not. He's a former pastor. He's going to beat me up in the parking lot after this. But if that was true of him, the world would say, oh, see, Christianity is a bunch of hypocrites. He's a bunch of liars, a bunch of word service, lip service. And there's no change. Okay? So there should be evidence. Jesus says, by their fruits, you'll know them. Right? A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. A bad tree, remember all that? Doesn't produce good fruit. So cat, spelled the wrong way. I know it's a bad one, but I couldn't come up with anything else. Knowledge, agreement, trust. Um, there are two books of the Bible that are midterms. Did you know that? First John and James. What do you mean by midterms? Well, you're in the middle of your life somewhere. You might be toward the end. You might be near the beginning, but you're not at the end that I know of. So those two books are books written with a bunch of tests to test yourself and go, how am I doing? John, first John is one. James is the other one. We're going to start it next week. Be sure to tune in. Um, for example, in 1 John, some of the tests are, do you confess Jesus as Lord? Publicly? Publicly. 
no, no closet Christian or around other people you go, yeah, I think all faiths are equally legitimate and whatever you want to believe. And I think everyone goes to heaven and, but in your closet, you go, Jesus, you're it. Do you confess Jesus as Lord? First John 4, 15. Do you obey his commands? You say, oh, wait, now we got a problem. You mean I'm perfect? No. But are you sinning less than you used to? Are you grieved when you do sin? Do you confess when you do sin? Do you see what I'm saying? Are you doing good works? Oh, good works save you. No, I didn't say that. Faith, believe is a faith word. Faith saves you. But with faith, you're going to learn in the book of James, comes good works. Always. Not to the same extent for her that it might for him, but they do follow. I gave you the ridiculous analogy of this guy says he's a Christian. 45 years ago, he was a drunk and a thief and a murderer, and he still is. No growth. Birth? No. Because I use the, this analogy where I go, look at, this is my grandson. How old is he? It's a little baby in diapers. And I say, he's 14 years old. He's in the eighth grade. Well, he should be, but something's wrong. Wouldn't you say? With birth comes growth because we're fed on the word of God, right? We're fed through prayer and fellowship with other believers and vertically with God. Okay, now that I made you feel guilty, do you love and obey God's word? First John 2, 5. You know how I know you do? Because you're here on Tuesday night and we're not giving away free stuff. Right? Well, we are in a sense, right? Um, and so are you on Zoom. You love God's word. Are you miserable or content when sinning? First John 3, 9. Not habitually sinning as a habit of life. There's a difference between, oops, I slipped and said that thing that hurt her feelings. I'm going to go tell her I'm sorry, versus I get drunk every day. I'm sleeping around twice a week at least. I'm stealing at work pretty much every day. That's habitual sinning. There's a difference. Um, okay. We still have four minutes, so I'm going to tell a couple jokes. No, I'm just kidding. Chapter one of the Gospel of John summary is the preamble. It starts grandiose. The other Gospels start with, two of them do, with the birth of Christ in a manger in Bethlehem. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created everything. He became flesh. John goes for the big picture. Do you see that? From there, chapters 2 to 12 is his ministry. He meets Nicodemus and says, you got to be born again. He does miracles. He controls nature. He raises the dead. He casts out demons, not in John, but in the other gospels. He calls himself God. There's seven I am statements in John. By the way, there's been whole studies, books written about John, that there's sevens all over the place. Seven this, seven that. Seven I am statements by Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true vine. Chapters 13 through 17 is Jesus's teaching in the upper room. All those chapters take place 20, within 24 hours of his death. He institutes the Last Supper teaches them about the Holy Spirit. He prays for himself. He prays for them. He prays for you, those that will believe in the future. 
Then there's the trials, the death, then the burial, 18 to 21, of Jesus. Um, and then the resurrection. Um, we already talked about that. Um, and I think that's all I have in my notes. Yeah, it is. So time for some jokes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to study the book of James next time. Uh, starting, it's five chapters, probably take us five years, probably. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we'll, we'll be thorough, but uh, it won't take us that long. Don't worry. But hopefully you're not worried about how long it takes. Thank you for being here. Zoom and COVID. Well, I'll, let me say it this way. COVID has been a real pain in the rear, hasn't it? Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. It really has um, for a couple of years. And yet through COVID, which ended this Bible study for a couple of weeks, because we can't meet, we're at a different church then. People said, you should do it on Zoom. What? No one is going to watch on Zoom on a little screen or a tablet. Zoom has quadrupled the size of this, well, tripled, and then some, the size of this Bible study. It's awesome. I'm glad that people are here tonight. Don't get me wrong. But this is awesome. We have people in 12 or 13 different states that watch. Then there's the recording. Some people watch those later. I don't know why. But anyway, I'm very thankful. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, God, for this time we could spend. <clears throat> here we are, a room full of Peters. Uh, I got a screen on my computer here, a screen's full of Peters. We failed you sometimes, God. Help us to always go right back to you in the name of Jesus, asking for forgiveness, repenting of our sins. Help us to dive off the boat and rush to you, to run to your arms, Father. Seeking forgiveness, seeking restoration, um, helping us to repent all by your spirit's power, God. We ask that you would empower us to be bold witnesses. These are the strangest times of my life that I've seen living in America, living in this world. Um, it's getting pretty crazy. And yet you predicted it all. You're not surprised by a single thing that's going on. And so we ought to be secure in our faith, thankful that you love us. And that is the question that we ask ourselves, isn't it? Do we love you that way that you need to be loved? We want to be used by you, God. It's a wonderful thing, Father, that your son is so easy to love. It's not hard. When I look at everything he's done for me, how could I not love him? How could I not give him everything? How could I not recognize that he's the reason for every blessing in my whole life, as are you, Father? Let that love motivate us to serve you humbly, God. We're so thankful. Bless this time in your word. Thank you for this gospel of John and our study in it. Um, and now as we move to James, I pray you'd grow this study and help people to invite others and all to your glory, God. We're so thankful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know, those of you that are here. I'm going to turn off my screen and say thank you for being here, those of you on Zoom. We'll see you next time. God bless.